chief and most important verse of Romans chapter 4. So just before, let's read Romans 3, 28, and then we're going to read Romans 4 and verse 5. So we start with Romans 3, 28. Is it found? Romans chapter 3 and verse 28. Reading. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Did you see that there? If we were to read it according to the original Greek text, it will tell us, therefore, we conclude that a man is justified through faith apart from the deeds of the law. What is this telling us here? This is telling us that if a person do the deeds of the law to bring righteousness to themselves or to make themselves righteous, they are making a serious mistake. We are being told that when a person is justified, which is to be made righteous, it is true faith. And that is apart from the deeds of the law. Why is a statement like that so very important? Because the whole Roman Catholic edifice, the whole Roman Catholic teachings is based upon justification by works. They tell you that what you have to do first is that you believe and you do certain works of grace and as a result of believing and doing certain works of grace, when God look at you, God will then justify you. So they are saying that by those works that you do, God owe you justification. Now a church that is built upon something wrong like that, you would mean, it would mean that if they have millions in that communion, believing those teachings, those millions are going against what the scriptures say. And if those millions are going against what the scriptures say, it would mean that those millions do not have the Holy Spirit. And if those millions do not have the Holy Spirit, then they are in trouble until they repent of their sins. What do you, what do you say, my dear brother? It is so important to get the scriptures right, because if you make a mistake, you go way off. But the Bible is telling us that therefore we conclude that a man is justified through faith apart from the deeds of the law. And this statement here in Romans chapter 3 and verse 28 is what Paul explains to us in detail in Romans chapter 4. And since Romans chapter 4 is telling us that we are justified by faith without the deeds of the law, then the chief text in Romans chapter 4 must tell us that also. Let's read verse 5. Romans chapter 4 and verse 5. Read in it. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justified the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Did you see what that tells us? If the person doesn't work, but they believe in him, which is God. And when you say you believe in God, you don't believe in God by just believing somebody you see. You believe in God who is revealed to you as a knowledge. Because remember what Jesus said, no man had seen God at any time. The only begotten son, which is in the bosom of the father, he had what? Declared him. So if, in other words, if you are to believe in God, you have to believe in a knowledge of God which Jesus is the revelation of. So when you believe in that knowledge of God, which Jesus 
is the revelation of we are being told his faith is counted unto him for righteousness. Watch this. His faith is counted unto him for righteousness. In other words, God come to you the faith that you will get righteousness. And this is what Romans chapter 4 is all about. It is explaining why no works, why when you believe, God comes faith to you for righteousness. Is that understood, my dear brethren? Now one more statement, we, we, it will do good that we, we will get clear. When it says his faith is counted unto him for righteousness, does it mean his believing? No, it doesn't mean his believing. Why? Because as we, we studied in Romans chapter 3, Paul already explains to us that our believing is different to faith. And that the faith is the faith of Jesus Christ. Let's look at that verse again. Romans chapter 3. Verse 22. Let's get that verse clear again. In other words, when you get these ideas clear, when you're going to Romans 4, you don't make those mistakes. Is that understood? Because these ideas have already been cleared up in Romans chapter 3. So let's read verse 22. Even the righteousness of? Of whom? Which is by faith of whom? Jesus Christ. Whose faith? Jesus Christ, go ahead, into all, and what? And upon all them that believe, for there is what? No difference. So here's the so here's what we are told. The faith belongs to who? Jesus Christ. But it is we that must what? Believe. Do you see that, my dear brethren? So we are told, even the faith of Jesus Christ, into all, according to the Greek text, and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. So we are being told that the righteousness of God is given to us through the faith of Jesus Christ. But we must believe. Is that understood, my dear brethren? So when it says his faith is counted unto him for righteousness, that his faith is not your believing. That his faith is the faith of Jesus Christ which you believe. Is that understood, my dear brethren? Get that clear before, right? Is that understood before my government? Get that clear. So when you understand all these ideas clear, when you read Romans chapter 4, you will not make the serious mistakes some of these theologians are making. I have two uh, commentary on Romans here in my Bible, in my book, bag. A whole commentary written by a Jewish man for the Jews on the book of Romans, and a whole commentary written by an evangelical man. And the evangelical says, when you believe, God counts your believing. Notice this. He says when you believe, God counts your believing as righteous works. Isn't that silly? And that is justification. Because if you believe before you are converted, and God counts your believing as righteous works, it meant to say that you were righteous before what? Before God changed you. Because look, you believe before. And then God counts your believing as righteous works. So God doesn't make you righteous. God just simply says, well, your works of believing is righteous. It's stupid. It's foolish. And that's the big mistake that these evangelical churches are making. So now, we go into Romans chapter 4, and we get to understand what it is all about. And as we go on, I will just draw a couple of charts on the board as we go on, to help us understand very simply what it is all about. Okay? Now, do you get that problem idea from Romans chapter 4? is an explanation of Romans chapter 
Romans chapter 3. And the chief verse of Romans chapter 4 is chapter 4 verse 5. Okay, so now I can take this off. And let's go on. Start with verse 1. What shall we say then that Abraham, our father, as pertaining to the flesh, had found? Did you see that? What shall we say then that, our, that Abraham, our father, as pertaining to the flesh, had found? Now, Abraham was whose fleshly father? The fleshly father of the Jews. And Abraham lived all around 1,000. 987, all that, a long period of time because he lives a hundred and something years old. B, C, B, before Christ would. And notice Paul is going back 1,000 and more than 900 years before the birth of Christ. And he's telling all of us that Abraham, he's telling the Jews, Abraham, our father, as pertaining to the flesh, found out something. What it is that Abraham found out. Notice how far back he goes. This already begins to give us an idea that what Romans chapter 4 is telling us that salvation now, the science of salvation now, is the same as it was how long ago? Before Christ. That's right. So the plan of salvation that Abraham knew it's the same plan that you and I today, 2003, is supposed to know. Is that understood? And if it worked for Abraham, then it ought to work for you. Is that understood? Let's read on. What shall we say then? That Abraham, our father, as pertaining to the flesh, had found. For if Abraham were justified by works, he had whereof to glory but not before God. Do you see that? Do you see what Abraham found out? That if he sought to be justified before works, he could have exalted himself, he could have glory, but he couldn't do it who how? Before God. That's what he found out. It goes on. For what said the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for what? Did you see that, my dear brethren? We are literally being told that Abraham found the science of salvation. Abraham believed God and it, that is the faith, was counted unto Abraham for righteousness. Are you seeing that, my dear brethren? So we are actually being told that way back around 1,987 years and on, before Christ's birth, Abraham found out that if he did works to make God become pleased with him and to make God accept him, he could have exalted and said, I did this, I did that, but not before God. Is that understood, my dear brethren? And it is a mistake many people do today. You find some people do some sin and do some wrong, and they figure just pray God will be pleased with it. Or just give food to the poor, or do something good to the poor and God will accept them. No sir, no sir. God is not going to accept you if you do those things. In other words, you cannot do works to earn God's favor. 
there must be a repentance of the sins that you have done and you must ask God to forgive you and to justify you or to make you righteous. And God promises if you fulfill those conditions, he will justify you and he will make you righteous. Is that understood? But you don't start off by saying, let me do this work and let me do that work to recommend myself before God. If you only do that, you're making the same mistake that Abraham found out 1,987 years ago was a mistake. Is that understood, my dear brethren? Let's read on. Verse 3. For what said the scripture? Proof that Abraham understood the truth. What said the scripture? Abraham believed God and it, his faith, was counted unto him for righteousness. Let's just stop here a while. Counted unto him for righteousness. Now, the word, now in the Bible, the word counted is the Greek word logazimai. Logazimai. And it means count, reckon, esteem, or give. Count, reckon, esteem, or give. How could we illustrate the giving? With the word count. Observe I have something here in my hand. Brother, put out your hand. This is a, a beautiful golden pen. And I put it in his hand. And I say, brother, do you want that? And he tells me yes. If I say nothing and he takes it and puts it in his pocket, he has stolen it. I must first what? Count it as his own. I must me mentally esteem it as his. And tell him it is his. I must declare it as his own. I must say, okay, it is yours. And it is only when I say what? It is yours, then it is his own. Is that understood? And that is what the word count means, or logasimai. It means you esteem something to belong to somebody, and that makes it what? The person's own. That is what it means to give. You give by esteeming. You give by counting. So we are being told that Abraham believed God. And it, the faith of Jesus Christ, was counted unto him for righteousness. Why counted unto him for righteousness? Because righteousness comes in faith. Is that understood? You only get faith from righteousness. That's why you have the term righteousness by faith. Is that understood? Or as the scripture put it, righteousness through faith. Or as the scripture put it, righteousness out of faith. That's why I have the scripture telling us that. Because righteousness comes through faith. If you are to get the righteousness of God, it is like somebody doing this. You want water, they give you a glass, and in that glass that they give you is some water. So in other words, the water comes through the glass, or the water comes by the glass, or the water comes out of the glass. So if you want to get the water, a person must give you what? The glass. And faith is the glass. And righteousness, or the righteousness of God, is the water. So when you have righteousness through faith, God must count faith unto you for you to get what? Righteousness. Is that understood? Yes. This is the reason why if you do not get faith from God, you cannot get righteousness. 
Is that understood? And the just shall live by? You can imagine a person with all faith just doing works and say, Lord, make me righteous. It have no righteousness in works. So God can't count the works in for the righteousness. The righteousness of God comes in what? The faith of Jesus Christ. So God must count what? The faith unto him for him to do what? To get what? To get what? The righteousness of God. It's not understood, my dear brethren. And this is what we are being told. To him that worketh not. This is what Abraham found. To him that worketh not. But believeth on him, God, that justified the ungodly. His faith is counted for righteousness. Is that understood, my dear brethren? Is that understood, my dear brethren? Do you get that clear? So in other words, Abraham is getting to understand a science of salvation. That he cannot do something on his own strength to please God or do something to bring righteousness from God to him. And in those ancient times, what people used to do? They used to do certain works and when they do those certain works, they expect God to baptize them with righteousness. And what Abraham found out is that if he did certain works to bring righteousness to himself, he could not glory before God. Is that understood, my dear brother? Years ago, he found that out. And guess what? The evangelical churches today are still making a serious mistake. Because they tell you in Old Testament times, people were righteous by the works of the law. And in New Testament times, they're righteous by grace. So while we are being told that Abraham years ago found out that you couldn't be made righteous by the works of the law, the evangelicals come and tell us today that in Old Testament that people were righteous by the works of the law. Do you see how they are contradicting the scriptures? This is why you must stick close to the scriptures. And you know what I like very much? Paul is giving us different times. And in each different time zone, he's showing us all of them were made righteous by faith. And it's all before Christ came. Amen, brethren? Let's read on. Verse 4. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. Let's just stop here. To him that worketh, every person do a lot of works. The reward is not reckoned or counted to him by God's grace, but by debt. In other words, if he does certain works, let's say these are the works he do. If he does certain works, God owe him righteousness. Because he could always say, Lord, this is my debt, all his works that I done. So God, you owe me righteousness. Is that understood? But if he did no work, but simply confessed his sins and relied upon the Lord, it is by God's grace he will get righteousness. What do you see? And that's the difference he's telling us. If you do works, then you're saying God by death owe you something. But if you do no works, but you simply rely on the Lord, by his grace he makes you righteous. What do you see? Amen, brethren? Isn't that lovely? Let's read the scripture all again. Verse 4. Now to him that work it, is the reward not reckoned of grace but of debt but 
unto him that worketh not, but believe it on him that justified the ungodly. His faith is what? Counted what? For righteousness. Do you understand that, my dear brother? Amen, brother? Isn't that lovely? So if the person doesn't do works to bring themselves righteous, but they believe the truths of God which is preached unto them, his faith, which is the truth of Jesus Christ that they believe, is counted unto them for them to get the righteousness that is in it. Amen, brethren? So that the person can be righteous by faith. The question is, why does God want a person to be righteous by faith? Look at verse 16. Verse 16 tells us why. Why does God want a person to be righteous by faith? Verse 16 tells us. Let's read. Verse 16. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by Come on. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed. Not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the world. Faith of Abraham, who is the spiritual father of us all. Do you see that, my dear brethren? God wants it to be by faith, that it might be by his word, grace. And only if it is by his grace, we are sure that all of us will get righteousness if we believe. Amen, brethren? Amen, brethren? So that is the reason why God wants it to be by faith. Now let's read on back again to verse 5. And then to go verse 6. Verse 5. But to him that worketh not, but believe it in him that justified the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David also describe it, the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputed righteousness without works. But wait a minute. Even as David, so he's telling us, Many years later, David himself described the blessedness of the man whom God imputed righteousness to without words. When was David alive? David was alive all about 1,000 years BCD, which is roughly 987 years later. He was alive all 1,000 years BCD when he took the kingdom. And what Paul is telling us, look at what Abraham, our father, had found so long ago. And he said, even David too. Even David described the blessedness of the man whom God would impute righteousness to without what? Works. You remember him? So David and all understood that a person was justified by faith without doing the works of the law to bring righteousness to himself. Amen, brethren? And if that is the case, then we have to look at the whole Old Testament period as not telling us that a man was justified by works as the evangelicals tell us. We have to look at the whole Old Testament period as telling us that a man was justified by faith without the deeds of the... Amen, brethren? Do you get that clear? Yes, sister. I explain this thing. Second Peter one one. 
first of all. Don't lose this scripture here. Look at Second Peter 1 1. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Ask me to explain his faith. When he says his faith is counted unto him for righteousness, she wants me to explain his faith. We start off by looking at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. And then we will look at James chapter 2, and verse 1 afterwards. But let's look at 2 Peter 1, 1. Let's look at it carefully. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now here comes the part. To them that have what? Obtained what? Like precious faith with what? Us. Go ahead. Through the righteousness of God and our Savior what? Jesus Christ. What is he saying here? He is saying that we get like precious faith when we get the righteousness of God. Do you get that clear? In other words, God imputes faith to you for righteousness. What he is saying is that you only get faith as your own when you get righteousness, when righteousness is imputed to you. Is that understood? No faith if no righteousness is imputed unto you. Remember it? First step. Get that clear, right? That's right. Right, I understand that is exactly what you want to understand. That's why I take it from this place. First of all, for you to see that faith is given to a person when the person gets what? Righteousness. First step, right? Next step now, James 2.1. James 2.1. James chapter 2 and verse 1. It says here, My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. Do you see that? It is not telling us that we mustn't have faith. But it is telling us we mustn't have it with what? Respect of persons. But whose faith we are supposed to have here? The faith of what? Our Lord Jesus Christ. Is that understood, my dear brethren? Good. Now let's go right back now. Romans, particular scripture that you have. Back to Romans chapter 4. So two things we covered here so far we saw. Number one, we obtain like precious faith when righteousness is imputed to us. Right, brethren? So it is righteousness true faith. Secondly, the faith that we get is the faith of whom? Jesus Christ. Okay, brethren? Now thirdly, remember we are told that the Bible says even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Jesus Christ. Okay? Or even the righteousness of God which is into all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. Right? Righteousness of God through faith of Jesus Christ. Right? So we know the righteousness of God comes through the faith of Jesus Christ. The faith we are supposed to have is the faith of Jesus Christ. Now let's read back the scripture again. Verse 5. To him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justified the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Watch this now. Watch this now. 
is the same as saying his iniquities are what? Forgiven. What? His sins are what? Covered. God what? Not imputes sin unto him. It's the same thing. This is simply telling us that when God imputes righteousness unto you, he must first not impute your sins. He must first cover your sins. He must first say that sins no longer is yours. But what kind of sins? All your past sins? Or sins as iniquity? Notice what does it say first. Let's read again. Even as David, verse 6, described the blessedness of the man whom God imputed righteousness without work, saying, Blessed are they whose what? Iniquities are what? Forgiven. And whose what? Sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not what? Abuse sin. So this kind of sin here is really iniquity. And what kind of sin is iniquity? Iniquity is the bent of the mind to do evil. What is the bent of the mind to do evil? When you say iniquity, what is the bent of the mind to do evil? The bent of the mind to do evil is something we call this. Something we call what? Idol values. When people have in their mind various idols as valuable so that they do not want to give it up for Christ's sake, that becomes their iniquity. They are bent to do wrong is that they have idol values in their consciousness. The knowledge of their mind is made up of idol values. And it is something that it doesn't want to give up for Christ's sake. That is what is called iniquities. So much that David himself explained that as when God removed that from you, you get a pure heart. You want to see that? Turn to Psalms 32, where David made that very same statement. Psalms 32. Psalms 32, where David made that very same statement. We read from verse 1. Psalms 32, we read from verse 1. saying the same thing. Blessed is he whose what? Transgression is? Whose sin is? Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputed not? Now here's the second part. Go ahead. And in whose experience there is what? No guy. No spirit there is no guy. Do you see it? Do you see them my dear brethren? So he's identifying the forgiveness of sins or God removing iniquities with the person having purity in their spirit or no guile or no deceit in their spirit. Yes. This is um this is when when God uh, what we call uh, when God first impute righteousness to you and you have no sin in you at that point, at that moment. So you haven't conquered as yet. You understand? God does impute righteousness to you. So you, have, you haven't gotten a chance yet to start fighting 
and conquer as yet. This is why he's speaking about God's act of changing the person. Remember, God must first make you what? Pure. So God makes the person's spirit to have what? No guile. Right? Let's go now to verse 5. Verse 5 explains it a little more. I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto Yahweh, and thou forgivest, go ahead, the iniquity of my sin. What kind of sin? The iniquity of my sin. So that is when God changes. Now let's read now the verse 11. Verse 11. Be glad in Yahweh, and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are what? Upright where? In heart. Do you see that, my dear brethren? So when God transforms a person by justifying the person, removing the idol values, right? And imputing unto him his righteousness, the person is sinless, pure. And this person, we are being told, in their spirit, there is no word, guidance. This person, we are being told, must rejoice. Because they are now pure way. In heart. Is that understood? So when David said what he said, yet David himself understood justification to be God not imputing the sins of the carnal mind and God imputing the righteousness of God to the person in its place. Is that understood, my dear brother? So I can put this on the board now. Watch this. Watch this. Imputation. That's what justification is. 
And if this process is to happen, you can't do worse for that to happen. Amen, brethren? If this process is happening, you can't do works to bring it to pass. What you must first do is God must non impute the sins that are the idol values or iniquities. You must first repent of them. You must repent of the idols. In your mind, you must give them up. You must turn away from them. And when you confess, Lord, I give up these idols, then, and you believe the truths of Jesus Christ that you see, you believe the truths of Jesus Christ that you see, and you give up these idols, then God could not impute the sins that are idol values or iniquities. And then God could impute the faith of Jesus Christ that you believe, his faith, for his righteousness, that you will get his righteousness. That's how people's this change. That's the science of God changing a person from sin to righteousness, from unholy to holy, from evil to good. Is that understood? That's the science. And if you get that science wrong, you could still find yourself in sin and still telling yourself you're righteous. And any church that must be legitimate before God must teach this science of salvation. Any other thing is a counterfeit. If it is a counterfeit, don't expect it to be right before God. And if it is a counterfeit, don't expect God to accept that as truth. Do you get that clear, my dear brethren? Do not expect God to accept that as something that is true. It's got to be this science. Because remember, justification is the point of change. Amen, brethren? In the great man atonement. Is that not so? That's the point. So if you get this wrong, then you're still in sin. This is the proper science. This is what we have been told right here in the scriptures. This is the beautiful truths that are presented, being presented to us. Do you understand that, my dear brethren? And this is why I would beg you to learn this by heart. Look, I have no notes written down here. I'm just studying from my Bible. I don't have a study written out that I'm going through. Which means to say I learn these things by heart. In my Bible, I write out the right scriptures, the right place as a correlation to other scriptures. So when I turn, I would immediately find them and know how to relate it. Which means it's a, you must spend time with your Bible learning things this way too. Is that understood? Yes. When you are called upon suddenly, you must be able to show the truth. Is that understood? While I was right there in the radio station today, I prepared the second study for the radio on Tuesday, Thursday, Adventist explained. But the devil know why. Take place in the Bible. But the impression on how it comes is that it's a 
kidnapping so wrong or let's blame Christian. That is something in the principle behind what you will see. Because this is that in the country. You go to it's a foreign It was very, very upsetting. So when, when I, they just said that they have a second portion of the program, I said, thank you. So, something must be done and it was very tight. This kind of So as I'm coming out, as I make the record now, and I'm coming out, the gladiator is there, giving his study, I'm giving his um, political rhetoric. And as I'm coming out, he do so, he called me to come in. So I come in, and he cut off where he wouldn't be here, be talking on the station. And here, I want to do something on the Seventh-day Adventists. And I want you to come in. I say, when here, tomorrow, sir, I say, well, wait, 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 that's too quick, wait. Yeah, he said, so you're here in the Lambert, study. He said, so you're following up that study? I said, yes, I just did that. He said, okay, well, next week. So he will tell me when. But he wants to get allowed this year there and call them to face us off on national radio. The difference between ourselves and what? Seventh-day Adventist Church. Huh? I don't know how my thing. That's why he said it so. This is why I'm trying to tell you. It's dealing with iniquities particularly. The bent to sin, the idol values. Yes, that's right. That's right. In fact, the, 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 the early Akkadian a pictographic language symbol for righteousness is a straight spear. A straight spear. And from that you get the word sadak, which means straight, which is translated what? Righteousness. You remember it? That's it, right? See, look, I know it by heart. And even the words, this is what I'm trying to tell you. You need to make sure you learn your scriptures well. What do you say? What do you say? Okay, let's go back now to Romans chapter 4. Verse 9. Verse 9. May this blessedness then upon the circumcision only or upon the uncircumcision also. For we say that Faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. Do you see that there? Yeah? Let me read it according to the Greek text for you. Follow. Come in this blessedness then upon the circumcision only or upon the uncircumcision also. For we say reckon upon to Abraham for him to get righteousness. You got a clear idea, brethren. But notice what he said. Does this blessedness that David speak about come on the circumcision only or upon the uncircumcision also? Now please remember this fact. The term the uncircumcision and the term the circumcision means two types of people. The circumcision are the Jews who were physically circumcised. And the uncircumcision are Gentiles who were not were circumcised. 
So we could well put the word Jews and Gentiles in place there. But why he says circumcision and uncircumcision, why he's saying it so is because the Jews made an issue of circumcision. They're saying that they were righteous because they were circumcised. Ask why. They say when we circumcise, we should do ourselves this act, which is a good act, God brings righteousness to us. So they do the work of circumcision to get righteousness. But the Gentiles were uncircumcised. So this is why Paul asked, does the blessedness that David speak about come to the circumcision only, the Jews only, or to the uncircumcision also, the Gentiles also? Let's hear what he says. We don't know. We stay. Right? Then he says, For faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. Verse 10. How was it then reckoned? Reckon, reckon? When he was in circumcision or in what? On circumcision. Now stop here. Notice the important point he's giving to. Because he says, For faith was reckoned for the faith was reckoned unto Abraham what? For righteousness. And then he asks the question, When did God count the faith to Abraham for righteousness. When he was circumcised or when he was what? Yet what? Uncircumcised. That's a rebuke to the Jews. What did God say? Let's read on. Not in what? Circumcision, but in what? Uncircumcision. Do you see that, my dear brethren? Do you see that? So Abraham was justified by faith before he was what? Circumcised. That means you don't have to do the work circumcision to bring righteousness to Israel. Amen, brother? Because Abraham was what? Justified what? Before he was what? Circumcised. So then the question will be asked, then if he was justified before circumcised, why did then God give him circumcision? The next verse tells us. And he received the sign of circumcision. Stop there. Did you get that? What does he call circumcision? A sign. That's all it is. A sign. A sign means that it is a symbol of a reality. So the real thing is not circumcision, but what circumcision is a sign of, that thing is the reality. That is the real thing. Let's read. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith. You see the word the faith here again? Not of the righteousness of faith. Of the righteousness of the faith which he had being what? Uncircumcised that he might be the father of all them that believe though they be not circumcised that righteousness might be what? Imputed to them also. Amen, brethren? Do you see the sense? Beautiful. Beautiful as nobody else can show it like Paul. What do you say, my dear brethren? Very beautiful. So he's telling us this, that Abraham, before he was circumcised, received righteousness through faith. Then why was he circumcised? He received, righteous, he received circumcision as a sign of the righteousness of the faith which he had when he was yet what? Uncircumcised. That Abraham might be the father of all those believe, that believe, though they be not circumcised, who receive righteousness also. Amen, brethren? Yes. So if we have anybody in the audience here 
that is not circumcised and they believe. That person, Abraham is your father. Amen, Amen brethren? Amen. Because he was justified before what? Before circumcision. Amen, brethren? Amen, Amen brethren? Amen. If there's anybody in the audience here, Neil, but are not circumcised, Abraham is your father. Amen, brethren? Yes. Let's read on. You are you asking a question? Okay. Yeah, um, so you're asking a question? So, question? Oh, right. Okay, let's go. On. Verse 12. And the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision, what? Only, but what other condition? But who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father, what? Abraham, which he had, being yet, what? Uncircumcised. So what we are being told that Abraham is the father of Gentiles who are uncircumcised. Amen, brethren? Who are uncircumcised. But we are being told that Abraham is also father of the Jews who are circumcised, but that is not all. They must also be walking what? In the steps of what? That faith of Abraham, their father, which he received before he was uncircumcised. So the, so the Jews that are circumcised, who Abraham is the father of, are only those Jews who have the same faith that Abraham had before he was circumcised. Amen, brethren? Do you understand that? Yes. So what is he saying here? He is putting a rebuke to the Jews and telling the Jews, you don't need no works of circumcision to make a person receive righteousness from God. Once a person accepts the faith of Jesus Christ, that person is righteous even before they are circumcised as Abraham was. And even though as the Jews were circumcised, if they are to be children of Abraham, they too must have the same faith or walk in that faith of Abraham yes. which he had before he was circumcised. What do you say, brethren? Yes. Amen, brethren? Yes. Does Romans 4 make more sense to you now? Yes. Let's read on. Verse 13. Verse 13. For the promise that he should be heir to the world was not to Abraham or to a seed through the law, but through what? The righteousness of faith. Do you see that, my dear brethren? So he vetoed the promises that was made to Abraham, that he would be heir of the world, that he would own the world, that the whole world would belong to him and his descendants. God didn't make that promise to him through the law. God didn't say, do the law, Bring righteousness to yourself, and then afterwards you will inherit the world. No, God says, if you are righteous by faith, you shall inherit the world. Amen, brethren? And God told that to Abraham and his seed. Let's read on. 14. For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void. Do you see that? Let's read that again. For if they which are of the law be heirs, 
meaning the ones who will control the world, then faith is made what? Void. And the promise that God made is what? Of non-effect. Is that on the same idea, brethren? It makes sense? Then he goes on. Why? Because the law worketh wrath. For where no law is, there is what? No transgression. Now stop here a while. You remember we read chapter 3, what the law, the Bible said about the law? This is how come we know that the law worketh what? Wrath. This is how come we know that the law worketh wrath. Remember what God said in Romans chapter 3. That the law condemns us. That's all the law can do. The Ten Commandments can only condemn us. It cannot make us righteous. The law itself cannot make us obey it. We can only be made to obey the law through the righteousness of faith. Is that understood, my dear brethren? So the law could only condemn us. So if God were to make the promise to us by the law, the law condemn all of us, none of us will get the promise. Amen, brethren? Amen, brethren? Let's read on. 16. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by the grace of God. To the end, the promise might be sure to what? All the seed of Abraham. Not to that only which is of the law, that is the Jews, but to that also which is of the what? Faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. That's the Gentiles also. Amen, brethren? So that way all of us will inherit the promise if we have the faith of Abraham, both Jews and Gentiles. So that is why when the Americans come and tell us that the land there belongs to the Jews because God gave it to the Jews, who the hell tell them that? What does the scripture say? It is for the Jews and for what? The Gentiles, if they have the faith of what? Abraham, who is the one? Father of us also belongs to the Palestinians too. Once they are converted. Amen, brethren? And it belongs to the Jews to watch. Once they are what? But in the state of Israel, if you preach Jesus Christ, you can be jailed. They don't want to hear about Christ. It's illegal. So far from Christ, far from the Lamb. What do you say? You didn't hear me. You didn't hear me. Far from Christ, far from the Lamb. You didn't hear me? This is why whenever America and them talk the nonsense and Bush and Condoleezza Rice. Right? And Colin Powell. Right? And Paul Wolfowitz. When all of them say land for the Jews, we say, far from Christ, far from the land. You didn't catch me yet. What do we say? Far from Christ, far from the land. Amen, brethren? That's what the scriptures show. And I rather believe the scriptures. What do you say? When those silly, silly evangelicals give people the impression, when those silly evangelicals give people the impression that uh, the land was for the Jews only and forget about the Palestinians, we tell the evangelicals, far from Christ, far from the land. Is that understood? Yes. These people did not shoot the scriptures. And if you and I are Bible-believing Christians, then we are going to stand by these principles. What do you say? Yes. Even though these principles are not popular in the world, and even though people hate you for it, 
as Christ says. If they rejected me, they will also what? Reject you. And remember, we are not doing this because we want to accept some people. We are doing it because it is the righteousness that comes to us through what? Amen, brethren? Let's go on. Verse 17. As it is written, I have made thee, that is Abraham, a father of many nations. He's quoting scripture. Before whom? Before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. Now let's just stop here for a while. Some people say, you see what imputation means? God called it those things which be not as though they were. Some people quote that and tell you that, you see? So God is calling a person who is unrighteous as though they were righteous. That's what some people tell you. But if Abraham is dead, sexually speaking, because of his age, and God calls him alive, as if he were alive, that he could have seed with his wife. Let's ask the question. Was Abraham dead when God called him alive? No. When God called him alive, he was not dead. He was dead before. And when God called him alive, God counted him alive, made him what? Alive. That he not only had who? Isaac, but he had what? Six children with Keturah afterwards. Do you see that? So if you want to think, well, because he's dead being that old, and God counted him as if he's alive, but he's still dead, then they ask yourself the question, how come he have seven children? Amen, brethren? This is why we must not use that scripture that way, as some silly evangelicals want to use it. When it says, when it says, God who counted the things that are not as though they were. When it says as though they were, it means when God counted so, he what? Makes it so. Let's prove it. Let's read on. Verse 19. Yes. That's right. That's right. Right. But when it says he quickened the dead, how? And call it those things which do not as though they were. And that's the way he quickened what? The dead. So then that is how come Abraham was alive. But that is not enough. Yes, what? No, well. What, what part you don't understand? They usually say, when God comes to righteous, you're not really righteous. That's what they say. They say, so look, God comes something as that, although it wasn't so. But the quickening here is God make Abraham alive in his body that he could have children. 
So while he was dead in body, God counted him as being alive. But he really was alive. Because that's right, that's why it says that's why it says he's quitting there. That's why it says he's quitting there. Now one of the things, some some mis, mis, misunderstood Laodicean quote that text to show me. That means when God comes to righteous, you're not really righteous. That they quote that they, they try to quote that little piece here for me. But it is not so let's go on to see how Abraham was already alive. And not being, verse, verse 19, and not being weak in the faith, the V is there in the original Greek, and not being weak in the faith, he considered not his own body, now dead, when he was about an hundred years old. Neither yet the deadness of what? Sarah's womb. He staggered not at what? The promise of God through what? But was strong in giving glory to and being what? Fully persuaded that what he was had promised God he was also to perform. Do you see that? So if God says, you are alive, what happens? He makes you alive. Amen, brother? Therefore, when God comes to righteous, it is God what? Making you righteous. Get that prayer, my dear brethren? Do you get that prayer, my dear brethren? Right? Verse 22. And therefore, it, the faith, was imputed to him, Abraham, for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone. So that truth wasn't written for whose sake alone? Abraham's sake alone, that it was imputed to him, but what? For us also, to whom it shall be? If what? We believe on him that raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. Who was delivered for what? Our offenses. And raised again for our justification. Is that understood, my dear brethren? Yes. Clearly telling us that as far as the Bible is concerned, righteousness by faith is a beautiful thing. Do you get the whole concept clear now? Do you understand chapter 4 now? Say that again. Chapter 3 verse 28. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith, what? Apart from the deeds of the law. Do you remember it? So you understand chapter 4. This is what chapter 4 was telling us. It's a very beautiful chapter. I, I suppose when you understand it, you understand the science of salvation. Amen, brethren? And guess what? And guess what? By the time he goes to chapter 5, chapter 5, Paul goes into new issues. Paul goes into new issues. Let's read verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Stop there. Chapter 5 explains verse 1. 
chapter 5 of Romans explains verse 1. How when we are justified by faith, how we have peace, how it is true Jesus Christ our Lord. And what state we are in before we had peace. And how that relates to us being children of Adam. It explains all of that. So verse 1 of Romans chapter 5 is what is explained in all the other verses that continues in chapter 5. And this we are going to talk about next week. Amen, brethren? Isn't it wonderful? So now that you understand these things, I pray that you will take careful notice of them. And I hope all these studies are going to be placed on CDs so that we have a whole CD library of Romans Explained for people who want. Amen, brethren? Right, so now that you understand Romans chapter 4, remember, Romans chapter 4 is merely an explanation of Romans chapter 3 and verse 20. Let us start. One request I would like to make of you all. We're going to have our closing prayer now. But as you leave, I want you to do one more favor for your church. As you go to bed tonight and you're making your, your prayer to God, pray for one additional thing. Don't sleep tonight if you do not pray for the work that is being done in Grenada on the field. Right now, the brethren have a large amount of people that they're studying with. Every night they're having Bible studies now at meetings. And they're having a lot of people coming. And we are asking for you to pray for the work to be successful in Grenada. Don't forget that. Pray for the work to be successful tonight when we go to bed in Grenada. Ask God to help the brethren. Because as I, as I was told, if we only had a church building there, everything would have been okay. So pray that God will get them a place for worship where people will come to as a regular church. And now that the radio programs have started, Sunday coming is the first radio program in Grenada. With a large amount of listenership, we're going to have more people coming. And we must have an address that they can come to for church services. And where missionary work will be launched out all over the country. What do you see? Amen. Amen, brethren? Amen. And also, the brethren are going, and by, I think, Friday, they're landing in Kariaku. And they're going to establish a little company in Kariaku, too. You know that small island, which is part of Grenada also, right? So pray for the brethren. Pray for them. And remember, they have a big work ahead of them in St. Vincent also. And Bekwe. This place is where they will So pray for them. Let's pray. Loving Father, we thank you very much for showing us Romans chapter 4. For unfolding and unveiling these truths to us. We thank you for these. And we pray that you would strengthen our hearts to go through these verses and understand them more. 
and bless our hearts with your righteousness true faith making us righteous helping us to show people these truths that they too may be converted unto thee these mercies we ask of you also asking you father to take into consideration our brethren on the missionary field and help them to be successful grant unto them success in their missionary work help them to both sow and to reap while they are dear and to establish a church before they leave these mercies we ask of you dear lord thanking you for hearing us and blessing us according to these requests through the truths of jesus christ the plan of salvation Amen. Okay, just let us pray. Loving Father in heaven, grant unto us your Holy Spirit tonight that we may understand the scriptures we are discussing. Give us enlightenment that we will see the truth and love the truth to the point of obedience. Save us, Father, and make us strong in faith and strong in obedience to your commandments. May we not drop our standards but may we keep those standards high, even as the end draws near. These mercies we ask of you, dear Lord, thanking you for hearing us and blessing us tonight. Amen. Amen. Okay, we are, we are turning to Romans chapter 5. The book of Romans chapter 5. Now remember, we are going through the whole book of Romans. And we have now reached Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. It is important for you to follow in your Bible and put mental energies into understanding this chapter. This chapter is a, 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 a difficult chapter for many people to understand because the things written therein are difficult uh, for many people based upon how they how they look at it. But we will look at this thing in such a way that we would understand it as simple and as easy as possible. Now, if we were to ask ourselves, what is the chief verse of Romans chapter 5? What is the chief verse of Romans chapter 5? The chief verse of Romans chapter 5 is verse 6. Let's read verse 6. Romans chapter 5 and verse 6. Let's read it. Read it here. Romans chapter 5 and verse 6. This is the chief verse. It tells us, read it. For when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's it. There, there are two things that we see here in this verse. We are being told that when all of us were without strength, what does this mean? When all of us, morally speaking, were not righteous, when all of us had no way of fighting and overcoming sin, when all of us had no science of salvation in our minds, when all of us knew not how to deal with sin, we were being told at that stage, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. So we have two things here. All of us being unable to save ourselves, therefore we are in a sinful state, and at the same time, Jesus himself died for all of us, to save all of us. These two points 
are what we are going to learn in the whole of Romans chapter 5. We are going to learn how we were without strength. We are going to learn what kind of state we were in and how we came to be without strength. And we will also learn when it says in due time Christ died for the ungodly, we will also learn how the death of Christ does something to help us. So let's look at those very same two uh, points which we will see explained in the whole of Romans chapter 5. We start off with verse 1. Chapter 5, Romans 1, chapter 5. Is it found? Yes. Read it now. Therefore, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Here is a very important scripture. This scripture clearly shows us that justification does some change to us because it gives us peace with God. Now this peace with God, my dear brethren, simply means that all of us are in a state when we are not converted of warring against God, of fighting against God. The average person may say he prays before he goes to bed. The average person may say, well, I am not doing anything wrong. But once you are unconverted, we are in war with God. We may not understand the constitution of that war. But if even self you don't understand, that does not mean you are not in war. There are many times people break the law of the land without even understanding what law they are breaking. And so likewise, even though the average person may not understand how they are in war with God, an unconverted person is in fact warring against God. What are we warring against God? That's very spiritual. We must remember that when God created man, everybody was created to give a knowledge. And by the thoughts you have, and by the values you have in your mind, you give a knowledge either in favor of God or either against God. And if you are unconverted, you have idols in your heart. And once you have idols in your heart, the knowledge you are given from your whole personality cannot be in favor with God. It has to be what? Against God. And we do and say things that undermine the truth. We do and say things that do damage to the word of God. We do and say things that do damage to even other people coming to the truth. This is the reason why we must understand once a person is unconverted, they are in war with God. This is why this scripture starts off by telling us this. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God. Is that understood, my dear brethren? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, what we are being told here, only when a person is justified by faith, then they cease their war against God, and they now have what? Peace with God. Is that understood, my dear brethren? Now, some people interpret this peace as psychological peace, and peace or psychiatric peace. It just simply means they have peace of mind. No, this is not saying, therefore being justified by faith, you have peace of mind. It is saying peace what? With God. Which means to say that we are not what? At peace with God when we are unconverted. Is that understood, my dear brethren? Therefore, this is telling us here that it is only when a person is justified by faith, then they stop warring against God. Then they have peace in God. Is that understood, my dear brethren? And then it continues. Let's read on. Right? Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom Jesus Christ, 
by whom also we have access through the faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. What is this telling us? It is telling us through the same Jesus Christ we have access through Jesus Christ into grace. And into the grace we stand in when we are converted. Is that understood, my dear brethren? This clearly tells us that it is only the converted person that has access to the grace of God through Jesus Christ. You know, the average person who is unconverted say, when something is happening to you, just pray. All they say is just pray. And they say again, just praying is going to stop the thing. And this God is so foolish that all he wants is just for you to pray. So they use prayer as a talisman or as a magical formula. So again, that if they just pray, God will say, hey, the person is praying and help them. What they don't understand is that they need to have access to the word, grace of God. But you could only have access to the grace of God if you stand in the grace of God. And you can only stand in the grace of God if you are what? Justified by faith to what? Jesus Christ our Lord. Is that understood? This is the reason why when a person is justified or righteous, then they stand in grace of God. And through that same Jesus Christ who justified them, they have access to that grace to gain help in time of need. Is that understood, my dear brother? And this is exactly the wonderful way Romans chapter 5 starts off. Let's continue. Verse 3. <coughs> Verse 3. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation will get what? Patience. Notice this, he says, we glory in tribulations also. Who is the we that is glorying in tribulations also? Those that stand where? In the grace of God and have access to the word. Grace of God. When a trial or tribulation come before you, you glory in it because you know it exalts the love of God even more. Amen, brethren? And then it tells us why we glory in tribulation. Again, it tells us this, verse 3. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that what? Tribulation worketh what? Patience. Now, you know, more modern generation these days, young people have very short patience. They get angry very quick. They get impulsive very quick. They react unintelligent very quick. Young people are normally like that. They have very short patience. So why do they have very short patience? Because they do not face a lot of tribulation. If the young children will look to face a lot of hardship and endure in that hardship, then they will have good patience. But this is a generation where people are made to have things so easy. And as a result of making that thing so easy, any little trouble is trouble. Any little hardship they, they face is problem for them. But we are being told here that when you face tribulation, you get endurance. This is why one of the things children need. Children need to face hardships and to trust in God. They need to face pressure and to trust in God. And this is and when they learn to face pressure, trust in God, and obey the commandments of God through being converted, then you find they will develop patience. Now when they develop patience, what's the next thing? Let's read. Verse 4. Let's read 3 and 4 again. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing 
that tribulation work in patience and patience experience and experience what? hope do you see that my dear brethren? patience um, work in what? experience when a person learns to endure plenty things they can always claim that I have experience in this matter amen brethren? when a person learns to endure plenty things they can always claim I have what? experience in those things and from that experience in these things they can now have what? hope because if they endure and they get experience, they can now have hope when they face future things. Amen, brethren? That's right. But it all starts with justification by faith, according to verse 1. Let's read on. <clears throat> Again, verse 4. And patience, experience, and experience, hope. And hope make it not what? Ashamed. Why when a person have hope, they're not supposed to be ashamed? It tells us, because the love of God is what? Shed abroad, where? In our heart by the Holy Spirit, which is what? Given unto us. Now we know that the Holy Spirit is given unto us when we are justified. Right, brethren? When the Holy Spirit is given unto a person, when they're justified, the love of God, we are told, is shed abroad, or as Greek says, poured forth into our hearts. Is that understood, my dear brethren? And once you have the love of God in your heart, you have hope, you wouldn't be ashamed. You know why? Some people, because people taunt some people about Christ, they, they're ashamed. Some people, they're ashamed of Christ for many reasons. But if you have hope in God, because the love of God is in you, you're not ashamed. Amen, brethren? Amen, brethren? And this is the reason why the point here, verse 1 is correct conversion is needed. Being justified by faith is needed. Yes, brother. This, this rejoice in the hope of the glory of God is the second coming of Christ. Yes. Yes, that's right. Learning of hope. Yeah, the learning of hope. Yes. Yeah, because... Because when a person is justified, they're supposed to have hope at that point right. in time. But they right. haven't learned that. Right. But they learn that afterwards. Right. Okay. Let's, let's come. Yes, brother. Uh, of course. Whenever you tell a person grace and peace, you're saying the grace of God come to you and justify you. That's what you actually say. Yes. Okay. Let's continue. Now let's just read verse 5 again and then we'll see the sense in verse 6. Verse 5 again. And hope make it not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad or poured forth according to the Greek text in our hearts by the Holy Spirit which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength in due time Christ died for the ungodly. You get that my dear brethren. In other words, by telling us Christ died for the ungodly, it is the death of Jesus Christ that makes available grace, the Holy Spirit, the love of God being poured out in our hearts. But it would mean to say that when we were yet unconverted, Jesus Christ made that provision for all of us. And when it says Jesus Christ made that provision for all of us when, it, when we are unconverted, 
It clearly shows us, my dear brethren, that in our unconverted state, even from the foundation of the world, when Adam sinned, these things were provided for our salvation. So when it says that when we were yet without hope, or yet without, um, yet unconverted, Jesus Christ died for us in due time. In due time later on, Jesus comes and he dies for us. And while Jesus is dying for us, we are yet in a sinful and corrupt and unconverted state. But why, this, why, why are we told this? We are told this because it is through the death of Jesus Christ that love was provided to be poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which is given unto us. Yes, Lord. That's right. Beautiful. Right. Verse 7. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet pre-adventure, for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now when we are told God commended his love towards us, what are we being told here? God is commending his love towards us. It simply means he is showing the beauty, the goodness, the success of his love towards us while we were yet sinners. In what? In the death of Jesus Christ. So if I were to do this, if I were to draw this circle here, and I say, DC, the death of Christ, the death of Christ commends the love of God towards us. Is that understood, my dear brethren? In other words, it means to say that we should be able to look at the death of Jesus Christ and see how it is the love of God being adequately advertised and explained or commended towards us. It means to say that the average person here about the death of Jesus Christ and don't understand how that is a manifestation of the love of God towards them. And God doesn't expect us just to say the death of Christ is the love of God towards us. He expects, expects us to understand how it is so. This is why the scripture is written this way. The scripture is written this way for you and I to study it and to gain that philosophy or that knowledge that we can prove how the death of Jesus Christ is the love of God manifested towards us. When you and I are able to prove this to people, then you can bring people to know Jesus Christ. Then you can bring people to being converted. This is why it is important for you and I to learn the gospel, to know the truth, that we will be able to share it with people. But if you don't spend your time studying your Bible, if little time is spent going through your scriptures, and if hardly any time is spent thinking and reasoning out scriptures, pray tell me, how would you be able to open the scriptures to others and show them the love of God towards them? You won't be able to do that. And then along comes Satan with some terrible deception and fools somebody concerning some false plan of salvation. And when it is your and my duty to help people understand the true plan of salvation, we find ourselves unable to do it because we do not spend enough time studying our Bible to learn the philosophy of the truth. There was a time in the past when great men spent a lot of time studying the Bible and found enough time to study the Bible. But this modern generation is too fast for God. There are too much things to take our attention. So much things and so much modern prejudices. Because as the earth gets older and older, 
people's passions and emotions get more and more settled in the way they are. And prejudices and hate, hard-mindedness, um, ridicule, difficulties in being dealt with becomes more set in people's character. And all these things hides people from being able to spend time with the Bible and follow the scriptures. Then the question we ask, who it is will take time to deal with a hard heart and to reason with the person whose reasoning tax your intelligence to bring them to see the truth. When we have to learn to not make our hearts hard, but learn to be, to be soft in our hearts and to be easy to speak to. When people love transgression and don't want to turn, it becomes difficult to reason with them. Because, oh, what a tangled web they weave when they intend to deceive to stop a person from coming home to the errors that are there. And this is the reason why, my dear brethren, we have to learn to make it become easy for our own selves. The best thing to soften our mind and to see the glow of spirituality on a person's face is when they spend time studying the Bible. And the Bible tells us the death of Christ commends the love of God towards us. So all we have to do is to learn to study the death of Christ and see how could somebody dying be a true manifestation of love towards us. Remember very carefully, out of this simple scripture, the evangelicals or Pentecostals have an elaborate theory. The Roman Catholics have an elaborate theory about how the death of Christ shows the love of God. And when you check that theory, that theory actually destroys the love of God. Because the evangelicals tells us the death of Christ is in place of our death. So that as Christ died, in place of our death, we get away from penalty. Look at that teaching. This would simply say that if Christ could die in place of us for our sins, 